every time I wear a tank top, my nipples are erect. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. Sammy, we're here. We're here, Jamie. How's it going? Not too bad at all. How are you? Hanging in there, man. Very excited to talk about today's movie. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Night of the Living Dead, the remake from 1990 or 1993, if you're in the UK. What are we going to refer to this as? Just Night of the Living Dead 1990? Ninety of the Living Dead? What do you, oh, God. What do you want to call it? <laughs> um, I think just Night of the Living Dead 90 is fine. Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that, let's let's do that. Let's go with that. Um, before we kick off, there's a load of ways that you can support the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram. You can like and uh, follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on right now. What else can they do, Sam? Give us a fucking rating while you're there. Give us a, a few of your sage words of wisdom. A little critique of the podcast, always nice, little review. Above all, tell your friends. Get out there in the world and spread the good gospel of the Final Transmission podcast. Tell everyone you see in the street for three days straight. That's our bare minimum. It's not a big ask. Yeah, dig up Uncle Larry. <laughs> tell him we want him listening in the afterlife. We want him ambling around looking vacant because he's listening to this podcast right now. With a ghetto blaster on his shoulder, surfing a wave of toxic waste. Yeah. You can also uh, subscribe to our Patreon. You can become one of our Wasteland Warriors, or whatever we've called them. Yeah, and, if you're uh, that way inclined. If you've got deep pockets and you feel like supporting art and artists, then uh, go somewhere else and find some, I guess. <laughs> but we're also here, and we uh, love your money, so bring it. Yeah. I mean, this this costs money, so, you know. If you, if you wanted to help out, that's a nice way to do so. You get a couple of extra episodes a month. You get more content from us. It's a nice thing to do if, if you want to do it. If you don't want to do it, then do one of the other things that we said. That's that's fine too. Fuck yeah. Do, do nothing, do everything. Yeah. So, Night of Living Dead, Sam, directed by Tom Savini. Indeed. The man himself. Your favourite thirst trap in human form, Tom Savini. I can't believe we're talking again about your mortal enemy, Tom Savini. <laughs> he's not my mortal enemy, although I did write in my notes that he's a date rapist. Um, <laughs> of course we're talking about him again. It's it's We're a horror podcast, and he's fucking Tom Savini. I love how much you don't love him. I'm not going to say you hate him, but it cracks me up that I, I, so for context, I used to send Jamie lots of uh, nude and semi-nude pictures of Tom Savini through the years. And Jamie's response was usually lukewarm, which is surprising. Because normally when I send you pictures of naked dudes, we have a, a great yeah, obviously. time. Further down the line, I found out Jamie is not a huge fan of the man or the work of Tom Savini. But here we are talking about a movie that he directs and a movie that by all accounts could be and kind of probably should be a complete howling shit heap of a disaster. And yet... It's in the Jamie Carruthers, uh, whatever, fucking platinum collection. So here we are. What's, what is happening? I don't understand. So I don't hate his work. I just sort no. of hate his face. Hmm. I hate his little fucking chiseled beard. I hate his little... I hate the fact that he's a, a buff man in his 70s or whatever. 
I hate his, his whole shtick. Like in the same way that, you know, we hate Eli Roth or we hate horror is meant to be a place for outsiders. So these fucking like varsity chuds coming in here. Do you know what I mean? Fuck off. How is, how is Tom Savini a varsity chud? <laughs> I don't see Tom Savini in a, in a letter jacket. He fucking, he's an outsider. Come on. If you cast Tom Savini as the bully role in every single slasher movie, everyone in the world would be like, that's perfect casting. What no, you couldn't though, because he's looked sixty since he was fourteen. There's no way you could uh, he could, could never pass as a teen. He's one of the Hollywood actors. I mean, he is an actor. I guess we can say that. Who uh, you know is never, ever, ever going to fit the the teen role, right? Mainly because he was in Vietnam that whole time. But yeah. Well, yeah. I th- I think the issue, the big issue with me, is you know that scene in From Dust Till Dawn where he like cocks his little dick gun. <laughs> Yeah. And he makes a face, and I think that face has just irked me forever. The little, like, hmm, face? Fuck off, mate. Fuck off. <laughs> love that face. Uh, it's great because I, I don't love Tom Savini, but I definitely don't dislike anything about him, really. So your your vitriol is uh, is delicious nectar to me. I like I say, I like his work, and surprisingly, or unsurprisingly maybe, I don't know, I really like this movie. Yeah. I think it does a lot of good things. Why don't you give the good people listening to this a little synopsis? What happens in Night of the Living Dead, Sam? Maybe they don't know. The synopsis of 1990 Night of the Living Dead, directed by Tom Savini, is Night of the Living Dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens with a slightly different ending. I'm not going to bore you to tears or patronise you with a beat-by-beat synopsis of uh, either Night of the Living Dead or the remake. But uh, the dead return from uh, the grave. The the freshly dead or the newly dead are animated by an unknown force and besiege a farmhouse populated by uh, a cast of individuals who are forced to confront one another, society, zombies, and uh, themselves, ultimately. I think that is, I mean, that is the plot of this movie and the plot of Night of the Living Dead. And the plot of life. And the plot of life. The game of life. Come on, man. Does that thing even work? No. There's nothing out there. It's just dead air. Woof, I thought we'd never get a break. How you doing? Not too bad. How about you? Good. Just hanging out listening to this new Bowl Weevils record. First one since 1995. How's that for a stoker? Nice. How does it sound? Sounds amazing. It's called Essential. It's out on Red Scare Industries. And uh, I would say their best record since 1995. Nice. It's an absolute banger. Get your hands on it now. And you said it's out on Red Scare Industries? It is out on Red Scare Industries, yeah. That's uh, one more time. Red Scare Industries is the label. Nice. I heard that they're celebrating 20 years of being a label next year. 20 years next year? Yeah, I bet it's uh, flown by for everyone except the bands. Do you think we've had enough of a break and we should probably talk about some films again? Yeah, let's get down this slip and slide and see what's waiting for us at the end. I'm worried about us talking about this film because I initially, I was there's a, an emotional trajectory here that's going to surprise you. Initially, I was surprised we were touching it because I thought Tom Savini desecrating a horror classic doesn't sound like Jamie's idea of a party. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, 
okay, I fully understand why this is Jamie's idea of a party. Uh, how did you find this movie, and what the hell was your path, your emotional uh, roller coaster to to get into it, watching it, and then walking away? I was young enough that I didn't have like uh, sequel remake baggage when I first saw this, so I'd seen Night in Living Dead. I think maybe I'd even potentially picked this up thinking it was the original. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, the, the, the ripe age of 11 or 12 or whatever mm-hmm. in the video shop. And so it being in colour surprised me. It being different actors made me realise what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> You're a sharp kid. I mean, I, I'd seen it in colour before as well because I think my dad had a video that was a colourised version of it, which... Right. Don't watch that. It looks like yeah, shit. Not, not not a good uh, colorization. Uh, it has that like colorized war footage feeling to it, doesn't it? Yeah, my dad was obsessed with colorized versions. He got rid of his original like VHS of um, "It's a Wonderful Life" that he'd had for years because he got a color version and colors better. Wow. Is it is that particular version any better? Is it more Christmassy? No, I don't know. I never watched it. Yeah, fair enough. I've, I mean, I've seen the film. Yeah. I turn it off when he commits suicide. Happy ending. <laughs> That's the end. Happy ending. <laughs> See you later, Jimmy Stewart. Fucking hell. Oh, you just ruined that film for me. <laughs> Even though I think the exact same thing every time. So, yeah, so I think I think it's really cool. I think Night of Living Dead, 1990, the Tom Savini version, is cool. Thanks for joining us on Final Transmission. It's been a great episode. It's been lovely to have you all here. Uh, like and subscribe. Goodbye. Good night. Night Living Dead, Night Night, right? Yeah, we're still here. We're still here. We're still talking about that. I do think it's cool. That is not the extent of my review. I'm going to agree that it is cool. And that was my starting point as well. I, I you know, put the movie away, walked away for a minute, and I was like, gather yourself, young man, because you got to chat about this with the formidable horror mind of Jamie Carruthers. Just a mind with a mouth. Uh, what the fuck have I got to say about this movie that would even make a dent? Do you know what I mean? And I thought, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a good starting point, right? I mean, it is cool. I mean, I, I, it's worth saying that this um, this develops the characters in, in different ways. So mm. obviously the, the, the main thing, the key thing, is that Barbara isn't just a shrieking wet blanket. She develops, you know, a whole Ripley vibe. Barbara is an actual character in this movie. Yeah. And I think Barbara does some really amazing stuff, particularly at the end, which we'll get to. For sure. Let me go back and just sort of talk through the production and the the whys and wheres and what's of it. So it was directed by Tom Savini. As we've said, it's his first feature. He directed a couple of episodes of Tales from the Dark Side before this, but nothing else. He'd been working, obviously, extensively in the horror genre for his entire career. So it makes sense that he would direct a horror film eventually. It doesn't make sense that it would that the effects would look so shitty. You think the one thing that Tom Savini would do as a director <laughs> is make the effects It's like being Whoa. For the most part the effects look great, but there are some shots, particularly when Johnny falls over in a tussle with a zombie. Oh, it's one of my favourite moments in the whole movie. Well, because you love watching mannequins get their head smashed in. Like what what Yes. Is- I enjoyed that too. I, okay, maybe we should come back to your brazen dismissal of these effects because I had a fucking blast with the uh, 
I don't know what to call it because it's not really gore, right? There's virtually no gore in this movie. Virtually no gore, which is another interesting take. Yeah. I have a couple of other controversial statements to... to, to... I tell I will not stop you in that case. Keep them coming. <laughs> I think... Right, so I'm going to say this. We're going to leave it. We're going to come back to it later. But I think that this does basically everything better than the original Night of the Living Dead. I think it does basically everything better. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think it's a better movie. Um, so, anyway. so many people just turned this podcast <laughs> off, by the way. <laughs> but I don't think it's a better movie. I think Night of the Living Dead is somehow more than the sum of its parts. Mm. And this is somehow less than the sum of its parts. I was reading an interview with Frank Goria, and Romero said that the reason for the remake is purely financial. They got ripped off with the original release. It like some rights fuck up, obviously sent it straight into the public domain. Yeah. So they really struggled to make money off it. Obviously, they didn't make the same mistakes with the sequels, but um, Romero, John Russo, your Uncle John, mm-hmm. and uh, Russ Striner, who was the original producer and also played Johnny, um, never really saw any financial besides the fact that they got careers off the back of it, any fi- mm. financial reward from the original Night of the Living Dead. They'd been they'd been sort of throughout the middle of the 80s in a big legal battle with Howard Roach Studios over the colorized release that we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, and when they put that to bed, they were, they were basically worried that someone else was going to remake it because they could, because it was in the public domain. Sure. Um, so they decided that they were going to try and get there first. As they were putting it together, they found out that someone else was already starting to make a remake. So they basically raced to get this out before them in order to not have to battle them for the rights to just do it. I feel like if you're making a, a remake of Night of the Living Dead and you hear that George Romero and Tom Savini are making a remake of Night of the Living Dead, you just go to bed, don't you? Like You might put your hands up and walk away, yeah. You might say, yeah, that sounds like that's in uh, safe hands. If not safe hands, like definitely better than whoever, whatever fucking crazy dick was doing it <laughs> do you know who it was who was already trying it no no i don't and i'm really interested in finding that out maybe i'll um yeah. i'll get in touch with steven steven scarlatta he has a good podcast where they where they talk about movies scripts that didn't get made oh uh, nice he directed the Hodorowsky's dune okay. documentary which is great uh recently a documentary about shark exploitation i don't know what it was called it was called shark exploitation uh but maybe yeah i'll get in touch with steven and ask him because he'll, he'll have... I'll ask my uncle, see what he's got to say. Yeah, what's John? What's Uncle John got to say? Uh, I don't know. Is he dead? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> John, John Russo's alive. Okay. Spoiler, John Russo is not my uncle. I didn't even know if he was fucking dead or alive. A lot of Russo's in Hollywood, though, right? A lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones. I heard the, the Russo's control cinema. Yeah, we do. That control conspiracy the media. is actually true. We just uh, we use other groups as foils as we secretly pull the puppet strings. Yes, me and my wife, Renee, run everything, basically. So, yeah, so basically, Strider and Russo and Romero all basically have a deal where they won't make a Night of the Living Dead thing mm. without the agreement of all three of them. Mm-hmm. And Strider and Russo were on board, um, and they contacted Romero, uh, like, we're going to do this, hopefully with your permission. If you don't want to be involved, fair dues. And Romero was super stoked on the idea because it meant that he could go in and, quote, fix some of the issues with characters in the original, which I think he does. Mm. Savini basically worked with those three, as well as other producers, including Menahem Gollum, who produced every film 
ever made, including your precious Masters of the Universe. One of my all-time faves. Yeah, but basically any action blockbuster, any trashy horror, sketchy sci-fi in the 80s and 90s has got... Or anything that combines all of the above and completely fails in every regard. Masters of the Universe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's got the Menahem Gollum name on it. Savini had basically been forced to deliver an R rating, so they they tried to keep the gore to a reasonable amount. Mm. However, when they submitted it, the MPAA still gave it an X, so they had to cut all of the the actual gore that was still in the movie out of it. Which is shocking, because I've seen the 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 gore that was cut, and obviously I've seen the, the cut version of the movie, and there's nothing really. Do you know what I mean? Like The difference between yeah. an R and an X here feels like it's delivered with severe prejudice, because there's a head explosion, which is fucking rad, that we don't get to see in the movie, and yeah. there's like... The, uh, the back of the head blowout from a couple of gunshots in two different on two different occasions. We're not talking about like Day of the Dead, gut ripping and human splitting, devouring innards here. We're just talking about some fun and games, really. Like it's it's really not bad. Do you know? Do, is there any kind of like? Do those, are those goalposts movable? Do, do yeah, absolutely. Heavily censor people they don't like. Like, did they see all Tom Savini's nudes and just think censor the fuck out of this guy? I don't know what the the inner machinations of the MPAA is like, but Mm. obviously we've seen much, much gorier things before, after the same fucking year. Yeah. So, like, it's insane that, you know, the original is gorier than this. Yeah, this is 1990. There's no skulls with eyeballs hanging out. There's no people eating raw meat in the moonlight. It's so tame. It feels like, at times, the level of physical horror feels like it's dialed back for TV almost. Yeah. And I think it's almost to the detriment of the movie because there are so many shotgun shots that have the the impact of a handgun shot. Mm. Like I don't know anything about guns, but I know that when you shoot someone with a double barrel shotgun, head goes boom, right? At point blank rage, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So like the idea that they would just get like a little like bullet in the noggin, like nonsense like, it's not what it... we expect is it we expect whether or not you know let's not even fucking speculate about what happens in real life but like you said somebody gets a a double barrel shotgun at point blank rage to the head the anticipation for the viewer is this is gonna go bang we're gonna see brains and then we get like and that's it <laughs> what the fuck yeah the special effects which i think like i said on the most part are pretty good there are a couple of things where i think a better director would have would have hidden the the lines a mm. bit better and that's what I was getting at, really, with the with the dummy sure. thing. I think a, a better director would have shot that in a way where the, the it's not so very clearly a dummy for eight seconds of film or mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's not eight seconds. It's like two seconds at most. But it feels long because it's, you're looking at a mannequin falling. Which scene are you talking about? Are you talking about Johnny falling? Yeah. Okay. I had no notes on that scene. I thought it was fucking perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what mannequin? I guess because you hate Mosley, Bill Mosley, don't you? I, I don't hate Bill Mosley. I have a lot to say about some of the characters he's portrayed. I actually think he's fucking great to look at. I love him in this. Uh, I got a lot of good stuff to say. I just cannot stomach him in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Cannot stomach that guy. You're a baby for that film. And one day we need to do a Patreon episode about it or something. Because one day I want you to just sit next to me while we watch it and tell me what I'm doing wrong because I can't enjoy it, dude. I want you well, to that's point what at things. That's what you're say, doing this wrong. This is funny because, yeah, I know. What you're doing wrong is not enjoying it. 
I'm too uptight for Texas Chainsaw 2, I guess. Yeah. Chop Top. Chop Top is great. In the bin. He is great. But yeah, the effects are by Everett Burrell and John Vulich at Optic Nerve. Uh, they later sold Optic Nerve to Glenn Hetrick, who did the effects on the Misfits Scream video. thought you might be interested in that. I'm very interested in that. And I, I've followed Optic Nerve, and uh, not just because it's such a sick name, but mainly because of that reason. I love the Scream videos, one of my favorite videos of all time. Yeah, obviously they've changed their name to Alchemy Studios now, which is... Alchemy Studios, but very lame. Yeah. Very lame. Not cool, yeah. like Optic Nerve. Exactly, right? So yeah, so that's the sort of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff there. Why don't we start by doing some direct comparisons to the original? Sure. There's a lot to compare side by side. I think there's shot-for-shot shot recreations for for a, a huge part of this movie. Yeah. Uh, the opening in particular, I think it does a really great job of setting you up to think that you're getting a shot-by-shot shot remake and then bobbing and weaving at the right times to make you feel uneasy so that you're not just kind of complacently like, okay, it's Nightmare... Uh, Nightmare, Night of the Living Dead, uh, in colour, whatever. And then you know, it stops you drifting with some MacGuffin-y guff-guffs. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, in that opening scene, I mean, it annoys me that Johnny is doing the they're coming to get you Barbara stuff while they're in the car. Right. Stupid. They're not in the... Because it makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then he does it again when they're in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And then you see the old guy coming towards them and you, you've seen the original because everyone in the world has seen the original. And so... You've, you've got an expectation. And it's just an old guy that's like bumbling around because he's been hit on the head. And mm-hmm. then you get the zombie. And I love that, that little bait and switch. Yeah. Big fan of that. Very clever. Just really enjoyed both of those performances from those zombie and non-zombie characters. And I also just love Bill Mosley in this scene. He's such a grotesque Johnny. Mm. He's, he's not over the top in the sense that he is in everything else that I don't enjoy. But he's he's just intense enough to make you realise you're seeing a 1990 version of this. Like yeah. he's toothy and in your face, and he's angular, and his suit is really cool, and his you know his whole look, top to bottom, is is just superb. He doesn't put a foot wrong, apart from when he trips and breaks his neck on a <laughs> on a fucking tombstone. But trips and great. breaks his mannequin on a tombstone. Yeah, <laughs> so good, so good. Yeah. It's not. How how are you not bummed on your first watch at this point then? Because you've got, okay, a slightly clever bait and switch. I fucking hate that mannequin death. I hate that he says, Barbara, they're coming to get you in the car. On your first watch, you must have been like, fucking hell, what have I done here? No, because on my first watch, I was too young to know any better. True. I was just like, hey, this is cool. There's a guy with some blood on him. There's a guy getting his neck broken. He nice. looks very... Plasticky, but whatever. Maybe maybe some people do. I like that I approach movies as a 38-year-old man the way 11-year-old Jamie Carruthers did. <laughs> That's where I am. So obviously one of the, the main changes in this movie to the original is Night of the Living Dead obviously has a lot of race connotations to it, which they've said is by accident. They basically cast the best actor. You don't cast a black guy as your lead in 1968 unless you're trying to make some kind of statement. But that's the two like the two polar views, right? One yeah. is, you know, they're, they're not declaring it publicly. They're saying, you know, the best best person for the role got it. And then the other other end of the spectrum, you get a lot of social analysis and, and, you know, looking at it through a historic lens. A lot of people saying, really, are you sure? It's not conspiracy theory stuff. It's just trying to contextualize and understand that casting choice. Yeah. I, mean, I just think that you don't do that unless you're trying to make some kind of statement about something. Yeah, I don't know. 
it's not a casting choice in a vacuum either. It's the no. the entire events, you know, the whole plot of the movie plus his role and all of his actions. You know, fucking sixty eight. It's like a period piece. Like yes, <laughs> absolutely bananas to do what they did. And like massively. They- there was a, a scene in the original where they were at the end like lynching zombies, which they yeah. cu- they cut out because of the racial connotations of it. So like yeah. they they're aware of what what's happening. So mm-hmm. yeah, but what happens in this is that it's much more about feminism and and the sort of the the bad stupid kind of nineties feminism where it's like if you act like a man, people will take you seriously. But movie feminism, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it but but that's the the. The arc in this one, Barbara doesn't die. Spoiler alert. Obviously, we're going to get into spoilers here. Mm-hmm. She has a long and intense journey from, like, freaked out little baby to murderous monster by the end of it. I don't know if Savini is trying to make some sort of statement about, you know, feminism turning women into monsters or whether it's just that, like, you know, if you act strong, you will be strong. That, the, the latter feels more Savini to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I'm not, again, I'm not one to level lots of criticism at Tom Savini, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to bring a lot of nuance to this. It's going to be surface level statements at best, I think. And maybe it's up to us to read into it a little bit more, especially with our, our lens of the original movie. But I don't know, maybe I'm selling Savini short. He is a, he's a very intelligent, shrewd dude. So maybe he's bringing stuff to this that, that we're not crediting him for. So my note here is, is it weird that Tom Savini made a movie about women's sexual agency? Yes. <laughs> I don't really understand why the world needs Tom Savini's take on on feminism, <laughs> to no. be honest. But because it's not hugely heavy-handed, because it's it's relatively well executed, and because we can, luckily for us, in the year, whatever it is now, we can look back and sort of dismiss it a little bit. And, and we have a... a a more nuanced understanding of feminism nowadays. Yeah. Uh, he's probably just doing the best with what he had at the time. True. There are a few things that are, that are different in very key scenes here, particularly mm. in the they're coming to get you Barbara scene. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're coming to get you because they're undead monsters. It's yeah. that they're, they're coming to rape you. They, they're horny yeah. and they want to fuck you to death. Yeah. Which, fair dues, rape is scarier than zombies. So, you know, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> so, like, you know, I, is Savini there trying to play to the, the real fears of the audience or the female audience that he maybe is hoping to have by giving a strong female lead? I think he's basic. Right. I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could give Savini props for crafting a narrative that appeals to a female audience because it speaks to their fears and their genuine anxieties and their concerns and their challenges in society but i don't think i'm there yet i think what's happening here is he's just being kind of gross and using gross 90s versions Uh, he's updating the material for what he thinks is his audience and i don't think it's to serve feminism i think it's to just be kind of a it's the greasy side of savini i think there do you think that this film is feminist by accident, though? No, I think it's a very deliberate choice to to paint Barbara in this way because, I mean, all you really hear endlessly in terms of criticism of the original is that Barbara sucks and she's annoying and she's hysterical the whole time and that she's uh, she does nothing for female characters in movies when she has a lot of scope to do a lot more. So she's deliberately written that way. I think what this movie's doing is just addressing that issue in the first movie and doing it 
not as an overcorrect necessarily, but just doing it in a way that really makes a statement of this character's strength, this character's drive, and this character's importance to the narrative. Yeah. Um, like she, she literally takes off her skirt and puts on a pair of trousers at one point. Like, it's, <laughs> does, not, yeah. it's not subtle. It's not subtle. Like, by the end of the movie, she's in, like, the full Ripley special, like, combat boots, yep. dirty yep. vest. Like, she's absolutely diehard at this point. Yeah, and the true the true sign in that scene of a, a very realistic female character that's written by a strong feminist is that her nipples are erect. Yeah. Well, I mean, every time I wear a tank top, my nipples are erect. <laughs> Same here. Especially when I'm shooting people in the head on the front lawn of a house I've been imprisoned in for 24 hours. The first thing that I want to draw attention to is my erect nipples. <laughs> well, she doesn't say, get a load of these nips, boyos. And she's like... <laughs> peppering the uh but savini does that's my whole point so you know the, the puppet master here savini is puppeteering those nips and we're all meant to see them with our eyes that's that's my, my only point here sorry everyone I t- yeah we've done we've done a lot of nipple stuff here we have yeah it's been a while since i've seen the original so i can't quite remember but obviously the a lot of the themes are the same which is in any in any situation where anything horrible is happening the people that you really have to fear are the the people that you're standing next to. Like mm-hmm. people are the bad thing. Any remotely thoughtful zombie media has has run with that as as its sort of central thesis, and it's the same here. Obviously, it's Night of the Living Dead, so we're doing those things. And um, we change up a few of the things. Only Helen is killed by a zombie. Everybody else dies either by their own abject fucking stupidity. Why would yeah. you shoot a petrol pump? I do it in Fortnite when I want to kill people. Why? Like, <laughs> I do it to every petrol pump I see in Fortnite, for the record. And I love that scene. I love that he shot the petrol pump. It was so entertaining. It's exactly what I wanted to happen. I didn't think for a million years that it was going to happen. So when it did, I cheered out loud when that <laughs> happened. It was superb. I loved it. But yeah, so like, it's either people's stupidity or their malice that is, that is the threat. Obviously, there is a wider threat. There are zombies outside that are trying to get in. Mm-hmm. But like in these situations where people are only ever thinking about themselves, obviously, everyone's a threat because everyone's a selfish asshole. Yeah, and that's one thing I've got to tip my hat to about this interpretation is that there are lots of moments where, particularly Barbara is pointing out that the zombies aren't that threatening. Mm. They're very slow. She points out their flaws. They're slow. They're limited in their range of movement. They're not technically spiteful. They're driven by something deeper. And she makes a real show of the fact that you can kind of walk around them. So that just highlights to me that the real, like you said, the real danger is the the people around you, the people that you're forced by circumstance to have to ally with. Yeah, I think that's brave in terms of, a, you know, to expose the floor of your antagonist so, so openly in, in at the midpoint of the movie to undermine the horror of the zombies themselves, I think is quite a, an interesting take. But again, I, I do think the, the people of the real evil in this movie is a little bit heavy handed, especially at the end. But we'll talk about the whole fucking last five minutes of this movie later, because it is a interesting little batch. Yeah. I think one of the things that this does way better than the original is that we get some depth to Cooper. Mm. In the original, mm-hmm. Cooper's just a snidey little ass. And in, and in this, he's obviously... A very snidey ass. He calls people yo-yos and lame brains. Lame brains is great. Yo-yos is superb. I love yo-yos, yo-yo putts, lame brain, all those <laughs> expressions. Superb. Dated language, which I love. 
I think Cooper is fucking flawless in this movie. Yeah. And in the original, just so annoying. Like, well, well acted, but another annoying character that you kind of just have to deal with. Whereas he balances it so well in this. Yeah, like you believe that he is only really looking out for himself, his wife and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a class element to this and there's a class element in the original as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's in a tuxedo and thinks he's better than everyone. But in this, like, you feel like this is a well-drawn character. He is like a a yuppie or a high-powered businessman who's always in control in his day-to-day life. So he wants to sort of keep back some of that control here. But like, none of that is spoken. None of that is said. It's just that you get that from the, the way that the character is portrayed. He He's sort of portrayed as if like they plucked him from, I don't know, Wall Street and dropped him into Night of Living Dead. Yeah, Wall Street vibes for sure. And yeah. he slaps his wife. We don't like him. We see some tenderness that he is in his bizarre way, just trying to protect his family. We kind of like that. He, he he pinballs us around a lot more than the Cooper in the in the first movie, and he he's visually spectacular to watch. Like, when he does those wide-eyed moments, physically he's interesting. Like you said, his wardrobe's great. There's not a lot of moments in this movie where he is dead air. I think he's great. Yeah, no, I think so too. That actor, whose name I can't remember... Tom Towel. He's a pretty chameleon-y type actor, I think, as well. Like, I don't really know him from a whole bunch of stuff. But, like, the character he plays in Texas Chainsaw 2, mm-hmm. the character that he plays in House of a Thousand Corpses and uh, those other Rob Zombie movies. He's the detective in House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, and he's a, a ghost in Devil's Rejects. And he's like, in the Halloween, the Rob Zombie Halloween as well, yeah. I remember him. And, like, he, he just is a completely different guy. Mm-hmm in the Rob Zombie films that he was in to to this and also into uh, Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah, some good range. I would never believe that they were the same person if I didn't Mm. know that they were. A physical evolution through his career as well. He goes from being relatively slight to much, much bigger. He has... He looks completely transformed by facial hair, which I think is a massive asset as an actor. He goes bald progressively throughout his career, so you get a lot of really interesting hairdos. Uh, I I liked him a lot. He kind of... uh, he, He has that sort of reminds you of someone feeling that you can't quite put your finger on and then you realize he reminds you of every greasy cop detective type character from every 80s movie ever yeah i think he he looks quite a lot like the mayor from ghostbusters (laughs) he really does yeah he's got a little bit of that going on for sure yeah great performance i guess it's really good it's really nuanced in a film that you wouldn't be expecting a performance like that no, because he doesn't have a lot of room scene to scene to flex those muscles, and he he, he just does like he yeah. just fits and fills it really well. Nobody else is giving that kind of performance. Obviously, no. Barbara is I don't know. She looks kind of like a cartoon mouse. She mm. is I don't know shouting, and that's her characterization is that she's she can shout now. She's got a voice. <laughs> she can shout, yeah. Tony Todd, who we've not mentioned yet, doesn't have an awful lot to do. His entire sort of role is to be antagonistic to, or to be at odds with Cooper. I think it's a good performance from Tony Todd. I think it's a good role for Tony Todd. And quite like quite early in his horror career, he'd made a few like a few little horror bits before this, but he was no, he wasn't Candyman yet. Was he not? Is this pre Candyman? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was after Candyman. That's even more interesting. Well, I I, I loved Tony Todd in this. I thought from the second he shows up that he's just a an authority on screen like he he delivers lines with 
absolute power. Mm. His, I think his performance is, again, it's end-to-end -end stuff. He's crying one minute, he's raging the next, he's stoic. He's got a really good range in this movie, a great character to play, and he's a, a real driving force for the action. And, yeah, I was pretty much in awe of his performance in this. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I mean I'm not saying that there should be any direct comparison or topping one or the other, but, you know, the Dwayne Jones, Ben, in the original is a very different character. I'd watch that movie. What, Tony Todd versus Dwayne Jones? Just Tony Todd topping Dwayne Topping Jones. people. <laughs> Dwayne Jones. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just totally into it as a performance. I, the weird thing is I don't have an enormous amount to say about it because it's so rock solid. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not so phenomenal that you want to talk about specific scenes in detail, but it is, it totally does exactly what it, what it's supposed to in a, in a remake. It kind of solidifies him as the new Ben in my mind. Tony Todd is one of those actors that just like... Like, he's just a really fucking good actor. So, like, mm. it's it's really nice that, like, he has chosen to work basically extensively at this point or entirely at this point in horror. Mm -hmm. I mean, by now, he's filling the Robert Englund cameo slot that Robert Englund still also does. Yeah. But, um, like, basically showing up to be like, hey, it's Tony Todd. We've got Tony mm. Todd in the movie. But even up to, like, Final destination and stuff it was really hard to not say final transmission then but like even even up to like final destination and stuff like he's still giving really intense performances and they're they're all different like his performance in Candyman. i don't know if we'll get to Candyman at some point it's a mm. it's a classic but it's so sort of charged with sex and race and it's a really special performance really good it is amazing, and, and it's kind of career-defining. I'm not taking anything away from other movies. It's two years later than this, right? This yeah. Is, yeah, this is 90, that's 92. It, it feels really strange to say that, in my mind, he is Ben, because there's so much about this movie I like more than the original. Uh, not taking anything away from, from any of the original performers, but this feels more definitive in terms of genre and in terms of the the intended purpose of the movie potentially you know it is a kind of second swing at the pinata for a lot of the filmmakers so just a really interesting dynamic there no judgment on one being better than the other it's totally personal preference as well but there's so much to drink in in this performance and i think maybe i'm basic but it's really helped by the color on the screen in that we get some beautiful juxtapositions of, of him against dark night skies and we get him kind of raging through this white house and we, we get a lot more depth in the color palette, yeah. which, which is just more interesting visually. So there's a lot working in his favor in this movie. The lighting is, is more sophisticated. So, you know, that just makes lots of these kind of tableau style scenes much prettier. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that I really have an issue with in the original is that the lighting mm. isn't great. Like if they'd have used, I don't know, it's obviously the sixties, but if and it was low budget, but if they'd have used like noir style strong contrast lighting, which maybe if they were making a film about race, they would have done to really highlight the differences between the, the lights and the darks. Like that's a that's a real criticism that I have of the original is that like the the lighting is kinda of washed out. There are never any really strong visual moments that are like, wow, that is lit in such a way that it makes me feel cool. Cool isn't the word, yeah, but, it's yeah. it looks like it's lit by fucking car headlights half the time. It's mm. not it's not great lighting. It's not well executed, and it's not particularly charming in my opinion. Like some movies are lit badly, and we like them, and we like the lighting, but that's not one of them. That's not in my list. So, what where I was really impressed with Tom Savini's directing in this movie is the quality of the shots themselves. I don't, I don't really know the film spec technical way to say this, but the movie looks great. The version I have, the colors are so like. 
they're, they're not oversaturated, but they're not muted. They don't feel too rich that they're drawing you out of a scene. Everything feels really, I don't want to say perfect, but everything feels perfectly appropriate for what it's trying to do. Mm. And I feel like the shots are framed really well. I think the action sequences are great. I'm more of a sucker for just going with the dummies and stuff than, than maybe most people. But there's some really interesting choices of framing. I think Savini handles movement really well, especially for what is technically, I guess, his first feature length directorial seat. And I walked away from it thinking it was a really rock solid job done well. A lot of trust and a lot of pressure, I guess, to pull something like this off. And he's much like his, uh, you know, his naked birthday cards every year. He's risen to the challenge. I read that potentially some people believe that Romero ghost directed this. I can see why people would say that. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you, if you were looking to stir up some shit, yeah. <laughs> say that? Like, is there like, are there production stills of him on set? Is that a thing? Yeah. If there are, I haven't seen them, but I mean, he wrote it. It's It's yeah. got quite a lot of like his stamp on it, mm. but might just because he wrote it. It might be because he was on set. It might be because it was Savini's first feature and he is good friends with George Romero and asked him a lot of questions about what he would do in those situations. It yeah. seems like an inflammatory way to say they're friends, they worked on it together. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a great tradition, especially in horror movies, of people getting their first swing at it and being guided or mentored or tutored or at least having somebody to ask questions to who's more established. You know, I know James Cameron, John Carpenter, a bunch of those guys used to help out younger directors and used to kind of handpick certain directors for IP that they liked. And I think that's great. It's a healthy giving creative process and the idea that Romero wouldn't give you tips on remaking Night of the Living Dead is bananas to me yeah. like of course he's got some say in this it's his uh you know his his DIY beast you know of course he wants to see the remake done well that's why he gives it to Savini yeah I think Savini was pretty hampered by the suits mm. once so and that says to me that Romero wasn't maybe on set quite as much because you think someone like Romero would have the stones or the the clout to stand up to network execs, network execs, film execs, but someone with no directorial chops, so no no actual you know clout, isn't able to say, look at the the grosses on my last four movies. Sure. I, I know what I'm doing, and I think that's why it does feel a bit muted at times as well. But I think that's, mm. I do think that apart from the nerfed like shotgun blows. Mm. You're, you're never like distracted or like once once we've established that we're not getting Day of the Dead mm -hmm. level gore, like you you know that that's not coming, and so the moments that are punctuated with a bit more gore feel great. But then you're able to sort of sit down and be like, okay, what's the story here? What's happening? And you're not distracted mm -hmm. by it. You're not waiting for the next big explosion. That's the nub of it for me, and that's what I read. The most interesting thing I read Savini say about this is that he wanted to convey the horror of death not the horror of being undead or the horror of, you know, a lot of zombie movies have explored lots of different facets of the undead since and, mm. and even prior. But the, the idea that you would make uh, a Night of the Living Dead remake with such a focus on the fear of being killed rather than the fear of how you're killed or, or anything like that, and you would focus more on the quiet side of death. There's a lot of really quiet scenes in this movie that are the most unnerving, as far as I'm concerned. And it's not the the big action sequences or the gore or anything that uh, hammers home any kind of message or anything like that. That's that's there for entertainment, and it, I think it's really well done. But the eerie and the unsettling vibe of this movie comes from its moments of quiet and the, the periods between 
kills and deaths where things are kind of unfolding slowly and in the background and in the shadows. Uh, that's what I think he does best is take all of your expectations of a Tom Savini Night of the Living Dead and subvert every single one of them from the opening shot. I think it's really clever. Yeah, we talk about like subversion quite a lot. Yeah. Because obviously the horror genre is long and storied and there are a thousand films that all do the exact same thing. So like the obviously the films that we're interested in, the films that we talk about have some layer of subversion to them. But I think you're completely right. I think like you hear that Tom Savini is doing a remake of Night of the Living Dead, or he has done in present tense. And so you've got a certain level of expectation there of what, what you're going to get. Tom Savini is known for his horrible gore effects. Night of the mm-hmm. Living Dead is known for zombies. We're in a post-dawn and Day of the Dead world. Day of the Dead is it's so incredibly violent. 1990, the year Peter Jackson's Dead Alive comes out, mm-hmm. which has more gore per square inch than basically anything that's come before it. Yeah. And maybe the MPAA, because the film has quite a serious tone, thinks that those those shots of gore that, that were taken out, those like headshots, they mean more because they're in quite a serious, fairly intense film. Obviously, Day of the Dead kind of wants to be intense, but but is ultimately quite goofy. Yeah, it's ultimately kind of silly. Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways. But yeah, I think you're onto something there. I don't think I don't think they could possibly defend the rating, regardless of the thing is they don't do they? They don't have to defend their rating. They don't even have to justify it. They just put a stamp on it and walk away, which is why they're scum. I, I see what you're saying. I see. Yeah, it's more impactful because it's not lost in a sea of head explosions. It's not like, right, we need 60% less head explosions, please. It's specifically, that head explosion is too graphic. Please remove it. And if you don't, we're not putting your film out. (laughs) It sucks. It's so annoying. But yeah, I think if you're you're disappointed by the lack of gore in this movie, I would totally understand why. If you're disappointed that Tom Savini isn't given this enormous free-range creative palette to just disembowel and blow up and murder and gore and core and pillage uh then sure i you know i bet the vast majority of people are bummed about that i personally am really happy with what he did in this movie and think it uh think it elevates the material yeah i think if you want that you can find it like oh endlessly yeah yeah. swimming in it so you don't need it doesn't need to be every movie no not everything needs to be the most gory thing you've ever seen no and if you want sophisticated gore maybe Savini's your guy I don't know is that a hot take yeah I think that is a hot take (laughs) what are some of Savini's unsophisticated gore endeavours there's a shot of his character getting shot in the head in Maniac which I mean it's I love it's probably my favourite headshot in cinematic history right but uh, not only because it's a great effect but it's also Tom Savini getting shot in the face but it's. It, I wouldn't call it sophisticated. Have you got? A, have you got a favorite? Is there a Savini gore effect that immediately springs to mind when you think of uh, his work? Well, I guess that one. Yeah. Like I say, it's one of my favorite headshots of all time. Have you yeah. seen? Have you seen the original Maniac? It's on my list. A definitive slasher, I'm told. Yes. So just another gap in the Russo bank. Well, it's it's unpleasant. Maybe I'll schedule it in for relatively soon so we can we can have a chat it's a it's very unpleasant let's do it i think i think in a world where tom savini has created that 
isolated brain and spinal column of a zombie in Day of the Dead, for that to exist in his career alongside this, in a situation where he could have just fucking gone bananas in this movie and done whatever the fuck he wanted, I think says a lot about his ability to read the room, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that necessarily, mainly because a lot of people don't even know this movie exists. But yeah, his his reserve, be it hamstrung by uh, execs and, and censorship and expectations from outside the corral that we don't know about, I still think it's it's a cool move to play down the gore in this movie. I think it's uh, he's not over-seasoning the meat. One of the things in this that really bugs me mm. is that... When Johnny comes back in the original, uh, in the original movie, it's yeah. so great and so iconic. You see the gloves it's my come favorite in. Favorite bit. It's like yeah. it's so good. Like you set up these fucking stupid gloves in the opening scene. Yeah. Like, let's pay it off. And obviously, they don't do that here. Which, you know, maybe you couldn't. But what they do instead is a, a bit pathetic. It's not fantastic. It's not particularly memorable. Of all the things to not copy from the first one, feels like a weird choice. Yeah, I guess like thinking about what Savini said, what you said, uh, you read Savini saying, mm. and he wants this movie to be about the the fear of death. Maybe seeing your brother dead is scarier in that moment than seeing when she has power over the zombies. She knows that she can just shoot them in the head, but she has mm-hmm. to confront her dead brother. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe that's what he's going for. It, it doesn't work. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a chilling moment in the first one. You sort of gasp when Johnny comes through that door and his face is pressed in with a bunch of other faces. Like you see the gloves give it away. And if you're not paying attention, maybe you miss it. But it, it is one of those moments that sort of sticks with you. And it cements the character of Johnny for me. Otherwise, he's a bit one trick. He's only in the first scene. He's kind of annoying and then that's it. But blam, he comes back at the end and you don't forget that in a hurry. Yeah. So it's a shame that doesn't happen here. I have... Um, the end, the end of the movie, I don't want to leap to the end. But no, I no, have, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's we're head. talking about like pros and cons here. I do not understand, and maybe I'm a fucking idiot and you're going to point out something glaringly obvious here, but how the fuck does Ben become a zombie in this version of the movie? I do not understand what happens here. So I thought that what happens in, in the original Night of the Living Dead timeline is that everyone who dies becomes a zombie. Huh. The newly dead are rising from their graves. Yeah, okay. All right. It was me missing something glaringly <laughs> obvious. He dies, therefore he becomes a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> like he's been shot twice by Cooper at this point. Yeah, there it is. Got you. Cuz I was I my brain just went into like how the fuck did he get, did someone bite him and I missed it or did someone come in like the fucking window of the basement and get him while he was asleep or some shit? Now he just dies. Sorry everyone. Yeah. I've been thick. I love the concept that just everybody who is not decomposed enough to, to have some movement yeah. is able to get out of the grave or whatever. I love that rather than like, oh, if, a, if it bites you, you become a zombie. That's boring. To yeah, me. that that is boring. And the only jeopardy it adds is making people more averse to contact with zombies and getting away from them more. And I, I don't think that is elevated by that idea. I think you, you want to be away from the zombies because they will kill you. And obviously being brought back as a zombie is terrifying enough in and of itself but yeah i've never never dug the whole getting bitten turning into a zombie thing it, i don't even get into it really when it's played for tragedy like a kid gets bit or you know uh, boring like just fucking it's way cooler that if you die you come back doesn't matter yeah. how you die yeah i think maybe the zombie bite 
speeds up the process of you dying mm. because you've been bitten by a zombie. Sure. But like, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really like or buy into the idea that if you're bitten by a zombie, it's not a fucking werewolf. It's not a, doesn't make any sense It makes to sense in the, con- in the contagion narrative, I guess. But yeah, still don't like it. You know, it's personal preference. And I like this semi-supernatural, totally mysterious idea that you fucking, your heart stops beating, you shut your eyes, and moments later, you are overtaken by some sort of unseen, you know, post-mortem life force that propels you to eat humans. I think that's badass. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, the, the other thing in the ending, obviously we, we get some of the stuff that is explored in more depth by Romero in Land of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, which is around, like, a situation where the, the living have won. Yeah, which you don't see at the end of Night of the Living Dead, and you don't see in the the continuation of that story through the other mm-hmm. Romero Dead movies. But what you do see here is, at least locally, yeah, the people have won, and obviously people being the absolute shitheads they are, they can't just put a bullet in these people and move on. Like, yeah. So, like I say, we we see this explored in more depth in Land of the Dead. Obviously, people using mm. zombies for betting and fighting entertainment basically and, yeah. yeah and target practice mm-hmm. which you could do with a dead corpse it doesn't need to be a, a like a reanimated zombie like you could yeah i mean that's that's my favorite through line in the whole of day of the dead is the scientific angle the fact that you have a scientist who's trying to unriddle the the cause and he's he's criticized for uh his methods i guess but what what we have here at the end of this movie is i think a bit of a shame. I would have liked to have seen it end sooner. It lingers too much and hammers it home too much that people suck and that, of course, we're doing all these horrible things to these zombies. Parallels between zombies and animals. It's just, it's all just a little bit uncomfortably on the nose. Yeah, there's literally Barbara's line is there, Rose, and we're them. Like, yeah, fucking get fucked. Like, it's such a shit line. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a lot of praise for that when I was reading online and I just thought... Yeah, it's a great line if you're fucking 12. Like, that's yeah. not good writing, dude. Like, try harder. If you're going to sum up an entire movie with one catchphrase line at the very closing bite of a movie, don't do that. Do something else. I'd rather she said, I farted. Like, it would have <laughs> been better if she said that. Or if she, like, looked around in that kind of deeply thoughtful way and said, who farted? I think that would be better. <laughs> I think just, like, you could just say people are scum. You could say anything. Yeah. Like no one's listening to her. Like I'd rather also I didn't like the trajectory that she just passively accepts that this is all happening with like a wry glance around. I'd rather she fucking weighed in and was like, cut them down and blow them up and let's move on. We need to survive. It doesn't feel in keeping with her character at this point to me. I don't think she would just Oh, okay, so this is this is it. We got a fucking zombie rodeo and a bunch of guys strung up in trees and we're just gonna shoot them. Okay, I guess people suck. I, I think that's a bit of a bailout on her character. Yeah, I mean, it is saved in that f- another one for the fire moment. Yeah. I, I really love that. Yeah. Obviously, in the original, Cooper is a dick. Mm-hmm. And we get to see him get eaten by his daughter. Got yeah, eaten, great. Troweled or whatever. To get troweled. He's troweled, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, the, there's the great trowel shot in both movies, blood splashing the trowel, the trowel coming back later as a weapon. I, th- I love that trowel. Yeah. But, like, so you see his comeuppance in the original... And then you mm. don't see his come up and here and you, you sort of think, you sort of forget about him because the movie has moved on. I thought it had excused him. It sort of, it was a more forgiving take. We've absol- absolved him of his sin because he was, he was scared and he was trying to protect his family. He fucked up. We all fuck up. Let's move on. I thought that was the message. And then what do we get? 
we get him getting blapped in the in the noodle. Yeah, fully blapped, full front and center, right in the noodly doodly by good old Barb's. Yeah, another one for the fire. I lo- I love that when you when we get to the zombie rodeo, we're not expecting we're not expecting that moment, or when Ben is revealed to be dead. Like we mm-hmm. know that we're not getting that another one for the fire moment because yeah, the rednecks have already come, the militia mm-hmm. have already come. They didn't shoot Barbara. Mm-hmm. Is it because she's white? Is it because she's a woman? Who knows? So you think, okay, we're just moving beyond another one for the fire. Well, I like Cooper's line is, you've come back. And he says it twice. And I think that's cool because it's obviously loaded with zombie juice. I don't know how I feel about her shooting him, to be honest. Like, because it could have done without it, I, I find it hard to love. I'd rather Cooper was a mystery. She's just come from this. Uh, her friend Ben, like the only person in the yeah. movie that she like respects, mm-hmm. and he's a zombie, and it's because Cooper shot him, right? But again, the, the movie does quite a good job of juggling your emotions there because Ben accuses Cooper of doing something that he wasn't doing earlier in the film, and does treat him quite harshly at times, even though he is a dick. You know, he does start to push him around, and I'm not going to use the B word, but he does force Cooper into some situations where he has to react and kind of stand up for himself. He's not as clear-cut as the Cooper in the original movie who is just an out-and-out dickbag. What's the B-word? Bully. Bully. Yeah. I was, I was trying to think what of did a, you think it was? I was trying to think of a racial slur that began with B. <laughs> I thought you meant boner. I'm not going to use the B-word. Boner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use a B-word, but I popped a big blank when <laughs> Cooper got shot in the head. Yeah, oh, it just, it made, for me, and again, this is just my first read, and I, I love that you love it. I think that's fucking awesome. For me, it made it feel a little bit tawdry, where it didn't really need to. She just fucking executes him. And I wasn't sure what Barbara's motivation was there. Yes, he is the root cause of the only good guy in the movie dying, but the good guy was just as flawed as everybody else. He was just a bit more can-do, and a lot more charismatic, and a lot more likable. So what we have really is Barbara executing a dude who who acted like a coward, who slapped his wife, and generally was uh, less helpful than he was a uh, hindrance. So, you know, d- does that justify blowing him away when he has also survived the shit that you've just survived? And also, kind of by sticking to his guns, like if everyone had just stayed in the basement, they would have been fine. That was kind of the end message. Cooper tries to keep everyone in the basement, uh, whereas Ben's idea is to board up the house. The basement ends up being the safest place. He ends up hiding in the attic. Ben ends up dying in the basement and becoming a zombie from gunshot wound. Ben finds the gas pump key in the basement, which is where Cooper was hiding the entire time. <laughs> it's, it's in the attic. It's complicated. Right? Oh, was no the well, there was, yeah, it the was gas pump keys in the basement. Oh yeah, so it was it's flipped, isn't it? Yeah, it's flipped in the now. My central criticism of both movies is why the fuck don't you just get on the roof the banging is what draws draws the zombies yeah. in so just like which is all ben's idea just sit quietly sit super quietly but do so on the roof like i do not understand why you would not be on the roof of that farmhouse waiting for eye line of some kind of avenue of support or help and then making your presence known uh just get on the roof yeah so I think basically by the end she's become, she's insane. She's a monster. She's she's traumatized. Yeah, yeah. she's Alien Three Ripley. Like, yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah, makes sense. And where would she focus that rage? The only person there that she knows that she knows she doesn't like. Yeah, Blap. 
noodle soup. Right, let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll wrap this puppy up. Let's wrap it up and send it to the dark web. Holy shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. And we're back. Welcome back, Jamie. How was your break? Insightful. Insightful indeed. <laughs> uh, would you do take a walk around, get a breath of fresh air? Uh, yes. Let's say yes. Let's say that's what yes. we did and not the, the real answer, which is... Not the real thing. You should stretch, people. Stretching is key. Make sure that you keep your muscles mobile. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about... Night of the Dead, 1990, directed by Tom Savini, written by George Romero. Yeah, in summary, I really enjoyed this lots more than I thought I was going to. I would probably rather watch this than the original right yeah. now, just because of where I am in, in the world in general. I love both. This one, I think, tops the preference rating for me, just because of the, the by pure virtue of how it looks. The action of the movie, the moral messages, the direction, the effects, everything you know kind of rolled into one just the way it looks on screen and the the general sense of unease that it pushes forth in a less frantic and less intense way than the original is my personal preference i didn't make many notes on this movie but the two that the two things i explored in detail when i was making notes was the music over the whole truck scene is absolutely fantastic it's so close to being dungeon synth it's really understated it's droney and it is music is sparingly used in this movie and it is executed fantastically there and that i think is the defining moment of the movie the visuals around the whole truck scene the music the atmosphere the acting it's all brilliant the blowing up of the gas pump one of my favorite moments in a movie that i've seen in a long time Hmm. Uh, and everything from that moment feels really dreamlike everyone's wading through things Uh, they're they're being sort of slowed down and, and pulled back uh, there's no like explosive movement. Ben is constantly like kind of flailing slowly and, and everything feels like you're being sucked into some kind of weird dream. And as a reimagining of the movie, I think that is tonally a really, really clever move. So I've got a lot of positive things to say about this movie. I've got not many negative things to say about it. And it was above all else, it did something that I really respect, which is surprised and refreshed me. Really enjoyed it. What about you, bud? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it is... It's surprising how much they keep the same. It's then surprising how much they change based on what they've kept. It's just really good. It's it's weird that Tom Savini didn't direct more movies after this. Agreed. I don't know what the circumstances were of him directing this movie. Whether George Romero couldn't, or George Romero said, yeah, but only if Tom Savini directs it, or or what. Because mannequins aside, like I think for the most part it's directed pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so interesting that like he didn't direct again because, or he didn't direct a feature again. I just yeah, it'd be you interesting. Think he to... would for fun, right? You know, you think yeah. he would just be like that went well. Maybe I'll do some low budge projects for fun. Well, maybe this isn't fun for him. Maybe making yeah. special effects is is fun. And I mean, this... that's clearly his his yeah. vehicle, right? His main mode of expression, his calling, his vocation, but. He, he had a lot of positive things to say about the experience of directing. I guess I'm just surprised he people didn't say, like, do you want to direct this episode of this? And Well, I guess yeah, they did a bit. Maybe he but... just stayed. Yeah, true. Maybe he just stayed where he was comfortable from, from here on out. I guess, like, being a director is probably just quite hard work when you're not directing a film as well as when you're directing a film. Like, you've got to work really hard to get funding from producers. You've got to be involved from 
from day dot in a project, really. Yeah, that's a good point. It's probably much easier, much more sort of comfortable working in special effects, when, especially when you're Tom Savini and you are among one of the, the three people whose names that we know, or the names mm. that everyone knows in in special effects. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think it's really well directed. I think it, it does do some interesting things. It does pose some interesting questions. It doesn't always answer them in interesting ways, but it at least sort of gives you the scope to have a conversation yeah. about how women are treated generally in the world, how women are treated in the original Night of the Living Dead, how mm-hmm. women are portrayed in action movies or in horror movies, strong women uh, in air quotes. The music kind of sucks. So you you mentioned sort of the dungeon synthy stuff there. Some of it has like nuggets of goodness of it uh, mm. in it, but for the most part, it, it completely sucks. There's a song over the credits. I say song. It's just a series of noises, basically identical to the Hermes hold music. Okay, um, which <laughs> that must drive you insane. The Hermes hold music was low key the best part of my day when I would have to speak to Hermes quite a lot when I worked in fucking retail. Right. But yeah, hearing it in over the credits of a Night of the Living Dead remake, not ideal. Traumatic. Yeah. I, I, I have a, a, a real soft spot for um, sort of stocky string music in movies. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that Harry Manfredini is stock in any way, but a lot of his string arrangements in, in movies, especially sort of the early Friday movies, um, really stick with me for some reason in ways that other movie scores don't. And mm. the, the I have a similar feeling about the original Night of the Living Dead score slash musical moments. And what I think was probably challenging was translating that in the remake because music is one thing that doesn't translate well decade to decade in terms of remaking and reimagining things. It, it dates something immediately, which is why I think they did a great job with things like Johnny's costume because it didn't feel like it dated the movie so much. So musically, yeah, I single out that truck scene specifically because it's so dreadful. Like the 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 sense of dread that's conjured, and the the slowly sort of undulating sense of menace that leads to the ultimate self destruction of the the central character in that sequence, just really peak for me. I think it's it's a scene that I won't forget in a hurry. It does a lot of things that tick a lot of my boxes. Yeah, I think another another thing that we haven't talked about, and it's quite intense and again sort of goes back to what you were saying that you read Savini said that you want, he wanted this movie to be about death is the the most violent or the most uh, graphic shots of like gore in the film are people who are dead so Uncle Reed or whoever it is at the top of the stairs yeah when he's got the sort of shotgun wound to his face mm. killed himself it's so much more violent than any of the, the sort of the zombie attack stuff even with mm point-blank shotguns to the face. And nicely lit. You know, Uncle Reed's character generally, you know, when he's lumbering around, when he falls off the banister, you don't get that da-da, like close-up face shot to show you all the gore. You just get kind of a shiny, glancing look at it, which I think is clever. And th- there's some shots there where Barbara's beating him with the poker. And I saw in a, in a little making-of featurette that half of that is mannequin with a real crowbar and half of that is real dude with a rubber crowbar and i thought the interspersing of the two was pretty much seamless i mean yeah. to an untrained eye like mine i thought it looked fantastic i think a rubber crowbar to the head still would fucking suck it still stings yeah yeah sure. there was a scene cut out that i really liked the sound of 
where Sarah Cooper dies in the in the cellar, and right. Helen sees that she stopped breathing and gives her mouth to mouth, and like her eyes open as as she's giving her mouth to mouth, and she's like looking at her. Oh, that's chilling. I don't I don't know what happens in the rest of the scene because it doesn't exist in yeah. a way that I can see it. But obviously that doesn't happen in the film. And presumably the stuff that happens in the film also would happen after that. So I'm not quite sure how that would tie together. Right. Like you, you want like a... Which is the character in the thing that when they're doing the chest pound thing? Chest pound thing. The, the clear... What's that? The defibrillator? Yeah. In this movie? No, no, in the thing. Oh, in the thing. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, did I miss a whole fucking defibrillation seat? No, but like in the thing, like when they're doing that, yeah. you're like, that's a, a mind-blowing thing. So have like the, the idea, and I don't know why that hasn't existed before, that you do mouth-to-mouth on someone and they right. eat your fucking head off there and then. Yeah. That's a cool fucking visual. Um, it wasn't in the, the list of cuts from the MPAA. Right. So... So it wasn't shot, or no? I mean, they, I've I've read the actress referred to shooting it. Oh, interesting. So I mean, uh, I guess they yeah. cut they cut it for time, but like it's such a cool idea. It's, it's a great much, idea. It's much cooler than I don't know being attacked by your daughter when she's not on the on the gurney or whatever. Yeah, it's a bit of a pulled punch. I yeah, think. I mean, on that subject, I think uh, where the original movie deals with the chronic plague on society that is racial injustice this movie deals with the catastrophically unjust situation of um uh harry cooper having such a hot wife in helen cooper yeah <laughs> totally unfair uh mckee anderson this movie uh not enough more please yeah that's all i got to say about racism um there was a thing in in the in the 90s where they they sort of felt like they'd solved racism yeah and that was the other thing that bummed me out about the the making of the movie is that there was illusions that where the you know there has to be there has to be a a hidden cause or meaning and the first one was about racism this one's about aids and i was like ah oh, shut the fuck up like <laughs> come on well you're just gonna like leap on a cause and yeah pretend to trumpet it like you're gonna take credit for drawing awareness to you know something as fucking important to draw awareness to his aids with your zombie movie. Should we not? Like, should we fucking just say what it is and leave it? Yeah, it's, it's not about aids at all. No. It's about feminism. If it's about yeah. anything, if there's a if there's a, if there's a cause at the centre of this film, it's, it's feminism, which, you know, again, Tom Savini would make a film about feminism or that, that has such a feminist bent to it. But it works. Like I say, it's clunky in some parts in, in in the way that it handles that. Maybe he saw Alien and was just like, I'll, I'll have one of those, please. Boop. Yeah, maybe he just has quite an innocent take on it. And that's not... I mean, there, there's an enormous amount of criticism to be levied at any mispitched attempt at feminist filmmaking. I completely agree. But it's slightly harder to attack Savini, if, you know, in terms of his motivation here, because he is clearly trying. <laughs> like, uh, for some hardliners that trying maybe does more damage than good to the cause. But from where I'm sitting, he took an incredibly difficult job and, and did it really well. And I was entertained for an hour and a half. So what the fuck more do you want from a zombie movie? What indeed? What's your what's your rating? If you're going to rate it? Oof, it's a tricky one. I'm going to give it nine out of ten teeth left in Uncle Regis's head. 
not a lot of criticism for this. I can't say that I won't revisit it. I think it's a really fun movie. I will watch it again and I'll recommend it to people. Rock solid. What were you expecting before you press play? I was expecting an absolute fuck fight. I thought I was going to get Sex Machine times a thousand. I thought I was just going to get the most cheese dick fucking ass quest you could ever imagine. And I thought I was going to be just drenched in gore from the very start. I thought I was going to see totally dumb crap done with zombies that I didn't need to see. You know, zombies getting folded in half and hurled into wood chippers and the gore spraying the house and the house becoming a monster and the monster eating its own dick and just like nonsense. And what I got was the complete opposite. So maybe my rating is a little bit high because I'm just happy I escaped without any of that. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really pleased that it wasn't that. The, the movie that you just described sounds like a great sounds movie. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing it down. I was like, <laughs> let's get it fucking scripted. Let's go. But I mean, I, I don't want it to be called Not a Living Dead. No. But, which we could do because it's in the public domain. But um, if true, we could just steal that right now. The, the the real trick here, I saw a lot of people saying that this movie was unnecessary and they were using that as a criticism. Like, fuck you, man. Everything's unnecessary. Literally everything is unnecessary. Name one necessary thing. <laughs> I know, right? These fucking idiots. Nothing's necessary. You know, if you're going to rank things on how unnecessary they are, have a fucking look at yourself. Literally, you just try and enjoy a movie. How necessary is it to say that it is unnecessary? How necessary is it for us to talk about saying that Night of the Living Dead, the remake, 1990 Tom Savini, is unnecessary? Not, is the answer. This is all a farce. Fucking get with the program, Chud. Yeah. Some yeah. vitriol coming out at the end here. My apologies, listeners. It's you got good. Me, you got me riled. Nothing is necessary. Ever. Especially a film. <laughs> I'm putting that on your grave. If you, if you meet an untimely end, that's your tombstone. <laughs> Okay, I'll put that in my in my will. It's a good t-shirt. I think I'm too old for an untimely end at this point. Yeah, I'm bummed. All the notes I've made about my, uh, you know, my untimely death and how sad it would be long past. Yeah. A timely death for all of us. That's <laughs> all we can hope for at this point. Fuck yeah. Any other kind of hope is unnecessary. So my rating, unsurprisingly, I think... I give it, what, seven ex- exploding gas pumps out of ten. Oh, dude, it's so a catastrophically stupid thing to do. What, shoot a padlock off a gas pump? Yeah. With, with, when you've got a flaming torch right there. <laughs> but like... I love it. This character never claimed to be an astrophysicist or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like a fucking brain surgeon, is he? No, he's just like a fucking good old boy. Like Much like Tom Savini, he did the best with what he had. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's it's really good. It's way better than a, a remake of Night of the Living Dead has any right to be. Mm-hmm. It's technically better in all ways than the original Night of the Living Dead, which I would score 10 out of 10. So what's your logic there, Jamie? Who, who fucking cares? It's unnecessary for me to explain my logic to you. Yeah, I just gave this movie 9 out of 10. It's clearly a fucking 6. Like, we're just excited. We like the movie. The ratings mean nothing. <laughs> nothing means anything. Calm down. Rating movies is unnecessary, Sam. Well, our subjective criteria... <laughs> leaves room for discussion for rating based on teeth in a head i think our criteria is how much we've enjoyed talking about the film basically how much we enjoy hanging out yeah (laughs) which so every film's a 10 out of 10 with you sammy fuck yeah same here dude so like we said at the start if you want to follow us on instagram at ft horror show you can add a little rating to wherever you get your podcasts 
You can tell your friends, tell your tell your dad if you're still speaking Shout to him. Shout from the rooftop. Yeah. Climb in that zombie scenario, do what everyone should do. Get on the roof and shout about a podcast. If you want to follow uh, Tom Savini on Instagram, it's <laughs> at the Tom Savini. And oh boy, is it entertaining. Get on there. Show the man some support. I'm okay. Thank you. <laughs> tell the people about the Patreon, Sam. I think you should sign up to the Patreon because uh, it's good. It's really good content. We're pumping out extra audio episodes. We're creating original written content for you to enjoy, which, uh, you know, Jamie lovingly prepares and curates with an enormous amount of time spent on creating things like GIFs. Uh, I'm going to be writing some horror fiction and some misguided critique of various things. And we're just going to use it as a space to pump all of our creative juices into your mouths. So if you're into paying... <laughs> To have juices pumped into your mouth, you know where to fucking go. The Final Transmission Patreon. Get on there, baby. Let's see you. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Final Transmission. I see can't you. wait. See you there, bud. See you there.